0: Pray with me. Father, we thank you that we can sing to you with jubilant song. We have reason to rejoice. This is the day the Lord has made. We must be glad. We must rejoice. Because this is the day of salvation. When the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Christ, who was crucified, is raised from the dead, ascended To the right hand of God and waits for all of his enemies to be put under his feet. And Lord, we get to sing of your great grace with great joy. Be glorified in your church today, Lord. Hear the song not only of our lips but of our hearts. You are a great God and a mighty Savior and we do not want to grieve you. So teach us your ways, Lord, that we may walk before you. And Father, in the darkest hours of our lives, may we hear a voice over our, our shoulders saying, Here is the way. Walk in it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been thinking about family together, and it's been a great time of considering Abram. We just started, really. We saw a few weeks ago his calling, and then last week for Mother's Day, we looked at how God blessed Hagar and her son Ishmael, and all of the Arabic descendants through Abram and for Abram's sake. And this is just the beginning of Abram's story. And oftentimes we'll go right through Abram, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, just sort of make the circuit. But I wanted to take the time this summer to look at some of the other people whose lives intersected with Abrams along the way. And somebody said to me this week, now you keep calling him Abram, but I think of him as Abraham. Don't let that throw you. In, in the first part of Genesis, notice it's, it's Abram, which means father. But then eventually, as he trusts in God, his name is, is changed to Abraham, which means, you may know, father of many. So Abram, daddy, Abraham, big daddy. And he's the father of many, many nations. And, and Abram. Has with him a nephew named Lot. And confessionally, we don't know a lot about Lot, but what we do know about him is that he's sort of wrapped up in Abram's identity. And Abram's heard this amazing call from God. And we don't know to this point in the story whether or not Lot has heard that call. And it raises questions about our relationships with our extended family. How can we love and bless not just our direct descendants, but what is our spiritual responsibility to our nephews and nieces and great nieces and great nephews and and all of those I am for the first time a great uncle in recent days I'm not a grandfather but I'm a a great uncle one of my nieces has uh, given birth to a child and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a cradle and so we have now another generation what is my responsibility you know what his name is Maximus. I'm not making that up. What is my responsibility? I'll just call him Max. What is my responsibility to him? Well, this is where Abra- Abram is with his nephew Lot. Maybe you've seen the movie Uncorked, but in that movie there's a, uh, an amazing story about an uncle named Cullen and his nephew named Ross. And Ross has one ambition in life. You know what it is? To make money. And so he has very little left of his family's estate, but he does have their treasured wine collection. And his goal is to sell that for a fortune, buy a manganese mine, and then he's going to become uh, opulently wealthy. But his uncle Cullen follows uh, the, the story of Simeon the Stylite. Simeon who lived on a column in the 5th century A.D., who stood on a column all day long every day and prayed for his family. And Cullen lives on top of this co- this column, and he prays for his nephew, Ross, and when he finds out Ross just wants to become wealthy, he wants more for Ross than that. So one night, he goes down into the wine cellar and drains thousands of bottles of wine, so much so into the water system of the estate that when the maid turns on the faucet the next morning, red comes out the wine has infiltrated the family's water system. And when she opens up the washing machine, all the clothes are being washed in red wine. And it's a, bit, it's a bit unsettling, but especially for Ross, who has just seen his fortune go literally down the drain. And he confronts his Uncle Cullen and says, Who are you? And why are you interfering with my life? And why are you trying to destroy my life? And his Uncle Cullen looks at him and says, Because I am your uncle, and I love you too much to let you waste your life on money. You might have been hoping for something else from your uncle. (laughs) Are you that kind of relative who wants what God wants even more than you want what the world wants? Let's open God's word this morning and hear a story. Genesis 13 and 14. I'm just going to read selected verses together with us this morning. And let's, I forgot this last week, didn't I? Let's stand together to read the word of the Lord. I made the second uh, congregation stand twice just in honor of you. <laughs> Genesis 13. And I begin reading with verse 5. Now, Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me, between your herdsmen and mine. We're brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company, literally in Hebrew, separate from me. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself. So Lot chose for himself. The whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. And the two men parted company, and Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked. And we're sinning greatly against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. And then in chapter 14, if I may read just the last verses there, verse 22, after um, Lot is captured, he moves into Sodom, gets captured when there's warfare, and Abram comes to his deliverance, meets Melchizedek, is offered all the goods that he has recaptured from Sodom, all the money. Verse 22, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. 15 verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Thank you. You may be seated. Those who have been blessed are in a position to bless other people. If you've been blessed then you know what it means to receive something great from God and to want to share that with others. And this is Abram's story. And Lot sort of tags along. When they they leave Ur of the Chaldees, when they settle in Haran, Lot is with Abram. And we keep hearing about Abram hearing God's voice and Abram building altars to God and Abram calling on the name of the Lord. But what we don't know is whether this has ever gotten through to Lot. That is, we don't know Until we see Lot make his fateful choice. When he looks and sees the well-watered valley of the Jordan, he says, That is for me. And he pitches his tents towards Sodom. And then in chapter 14, verse 12, we read he's living in Sodom. And in chapter 19, verse 1, he's standing in the gates of Sodom. He's a leader in the land, he has drifted that way, and, and it's interesting to see him lift up his eyes in delight to see that beautiful valley. And then God to say to Abram, After Lot leaves, now you lift up your eyes higher than the hills. Where does your help come from? From the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And you can look north, south, east, and west because it all will belong to you. And when we read this story, we see such a stark contrast in two views of life. Here is Lot who has bought into the material dream. Life is about acquisition. He is well infected with affluenza. He must have more because more is always better. And on the other side is Abram Who is willing to say about the land that God has promised to him, you can take any part of it you want. Why? Because he knows that his security does not rest in stuff, but in the sovereignty of God. He trusts. If we know one thing about Abram, he trusts. He trusts God to take care of him. Can I tell you that there is something worse in this world than failing miserably? Do you know what it is? Succeeding even more miserably is worse than failing miserably. To succeed as the world identifies success as Lot does. And then to be captured and captivated by a culture that is contrary to the Creator. That is worse than failing miserably. And sooner or later, you and I and everyone in our families must hear And answer the call of God in our own lives personally and volitionally. Or we will become idolaters. And there is no in between. We will either worship the God who made all things and made us for himself. Or we will worship the things that he has made. And the difference in our lives will be revealed In our destiny at the end of the story. Where do you stand? Have you heard God's call? I love families. I've been studying family. I've been studying it in the scripture. I've been studying it in those who have studied family systems in recent days. And this is what I know. Sooner or later, everybody must differentiate that's what we see happening to lot he he finally becomes his own man if you just look at the way it's described in the verses in chapter 13 the verses before we began to read what we see is that abram he moves and he brings his family along his wife and everything he had and lot went with him lot is listed after the possessions but lot is all wrapped up in his uncle abraham he has identified with Abram and I've noticed in a a recent survey that when they asked young people besides your mom and dad who do you look up to Now I just have to say they're making a bit of an assumption with the first part of that but besides your mom and dad who in the world do you look up to and they gave them the options of celebrities and uh, athletes and famous actors and all these people and number one answer 37 percent the number one answer said another relative. Now, if that's true, can I ask you, who in your family do the young people look up to and say, I want to be like him? And Lot has lived with Abram long enough to see the best of Abram. Abram, leave Haran behind, leave Ur of the Chaldees. He's also seen the worst at the end of uh, Chapter 12, when they go down into Egypt and and he gets his wife to lie. And Lot has seen all of that. But when he sees his uncle, verse 4 of chapter 13, build an altar to the Lord, he is not worshiping Abram's God. He is worshiping his own success. Do you see it in verse 10? First he lifts up his eyes and sees. Then he pitches his tents near. Then he lives downtown Sodom. Then he's a leader in the land. And it says he chose for himself. This is, this is the great... Look, in this world today, the great enemy of God is not Satan. The great enemy of God is the worship of self. Doing for self. Saying, what's good for me? Like uh, the barn builder that the Gospel of Luke tells us about. I say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for thee. It's all about you. And Lot buys in to that lie. He, 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 he gives himself to that hook, line, and sinker. It is all about getting the best ...of this world because it looks good to him. The words used there are the same words that are used of Eve... ...when she sees the fruit on the tree and says, that looks good. So what looks good? And let me ask you, is it better than God? Abram, on the other hand, is a peacemaker in his heart when they have conflict. And by the way, if you've got so much stuff that it's coming between you and your family... That probably tells you something about your stuff. How many families fight over material goods during life, after the death of a relative? How many think that the stuff is more important than the relationship? Doesn't that say something about them? But Abram is a peacemaker. You know, he says, you choose whatever you want. In my family, Jake, my dad, always said, whoever cuts the, the cake, the other one gets to choose. You know, why? Because the big brothers who were always bullies, that tells you who I am, doesn't it? I was the little brother. And, and, and my dad would say, if, he, if you cut the cake, then the other one gets to choose. But Abram says, no, go ahead. You cut and you choose. You can have anything in this world you want. Why? Second Timothy 2.24. Write this down on your heart. The Lord's servant doesn't quarrel. Can I tell you how God's been teaching me that? The Lord's servant must quarrel. Not quarrel. So he says, we're not going to fight. We're, y- your herdsmen and mine are not going to fight. You can choose whatever you want. You go left, I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. But, but Lot leaves the scene. <laughs> he goes down into the valley of the Jordan. He wants those lush, fertile fields. He sees that he's tired of living in a tent. He wants to live in a city. He wants to live in a house. And he gets to live in a house. But there is great danger for him In all of that. And the story devolves in a death spiral for Lot and his family. Abram, on the other hand, makes a very different choice. And when he lifts up his eyes, God says, Look, I'm going to, look, you don't have to connive. You don't have to finagle. You don't have to beg, borrow, or steal. Because the things you need in this life, I will give to you. And with that confidence in God, Abram can say, take it all from me. The writer of Hebrews says, he never owned any of it except the cave in which he buried his wife. But he believed God when God said, your descendants are going to fill up this land. And in that faith, he found his destiny of trusting in God. And everybody differentiates from their family, or at least They should. You can't live your life as a subset of your parents or your grandparents or your favorite uncle or your favorite aunt. You have to differentiate your life. But believe me when I say that can either be unhealthy and selfish or it can be healthy and spiritual. And whatever in this world you give up from your family heritage, don't. Give up your connection to faith. And if you ever find somebody in your family tree like Abram who is all wrapped up in God, knit your soul to that person. Say with Ruth, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Your family's my family. And your God is my God. And whatever happens to me, I will not lose my connection to God. But everybody has to own that for themselves. So the fact that you have a wonderful grandfather or a wonderful mother does not substitute for personal relationship with God. Lot's got a great family heritage in Abram. But he's got a larger family heritage. Joshua says that Abram... And his father, Terah, whose name means moon. That they used to worship other gods beyond the river. That's what Joshua says. And Lot has to choose. And every one of us must choose. Some souls take the high road. Some take the low. And in the midst, in the misty flats, the rest drift to and fro. But to every soul there appears a way and ways And away, and the high soul takes the high, and the low soul takes the low, and each one decides which way his soul, her soul, will go. Conflict sometimes brings the opportunity for differentiation, for separation from family. In a healthy way, it's uncomfortable for families sometimes when families assert themselves. I remember our younger brother, when he was getting married, told us how it was going to be. And all his life, we had told him how it was going to be. And so we said to him, no, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be like this. One of my good friends said, are you going to let your little brother have his own wedding or not? Our little brother asserted himself. Something about going to law school um, strengthened his backbone marvelously. And he differentiated himself. But in a family system, when one tries to differentiate himself or herself, you watch the other members of the family try to get them back in line. We're more comfortable if you do what we tell you to do. But Abram's giving him freedom. It's Lot who makes the wrong choice here. Now watch this. Even though Abram lets him go, he doesn't leave his responsibility to him. So at key moments in Lot's life, he will protect him. And on other occasions... He will pray for him. So if you've lost touch with a relative who's moved away, how do you influence that person? Well, sometimes you, you, sometimes you have to come to the rescue. Not always, by the way. There are times when we shouldn't come to the rescue. If you have figured that out with your family, I need to talk with you after church. I'm still working through that. I haven't figured that out yet. But this much I know, sometimes the best we can do is let our kids experience the natural consequences of their own choices, and then they learn never to do that Again, but that's hard on mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, aunt and uncle sometimes to let our kids experience the consequences for their choices. John Ortberg puts it this way. He says, if you could have the script of your kid's life. Remember last week we were holding little babies up here and dedicate them to the Lord. If you could have a script of their life and five minutes and an eraser And you knew what was going to happen to your kids, what would you take out of their lives? Let's say you had a daughter and she was growing up and you knew that she would have a reading difficulty. Reading would come easily to others, but not to her. And you knew that she would grow up and she would go to high school and have a best friend, but that best friend would have cancer and die. If you knew that your daughter would be accepted at the finest university, but while there go through a a tragic car accident and and then through a deep depression over what was lost in that accident. And then, and then she would get a great job with a great company, but would be laid off. And marry a wonderful person, but experience the pain of separation. And you had an eraser in five minutes. What would you take out? Well, it's easy, isn't it? Except, what if... The very way that God forms our souls is by allowing us sometimes to go through difficulty. Abram could have said, you know, that's not a good place for you to live. But he's got to let Lot make his own mistakes. He has to let Lot differentiate. But then when raiders come in, five kings come in and take away all the people of Sodom, then there is a time when he's got to protect Lot's life. And there are are moments for intervention. There are moments of rescue. And why does Abram rescue Lot? Why does he come to his rescue? Because Abram has been rescued by the grace of God. He's been rescued. And if you've ever been rescued by grace, then you know that you have some responsibility to rescue others by grace. To come and to encounter, and I love about, about Abram that he, he now is a good example to Lot because he, Lot gets a front row seat to see his uncle is offered all the wealth of Sodom that he has regained and recaptured in his battle against those kings. And Abram says, I don't want any of it. I don't need your stuff. I've made an oath to God. Life is not about worshiping God. Money. I've thought about. It. I'm coming up on my 30th year anniversary as a pastor. Um, I started when I was uh, five. But anyway, I, I started. No, I was, But I was. I was a teenager when I started. And I'm up, and, and in these years, I can't tell you this morning, and some of you'll be glad I don't. Um, all the things that people have confessed to me in those 30 years. But I'll tell you what. Nobody has ever come to me and said to me, M- "My downfall was avarice. It was greed." It changed my soul. And here's the problem with the God of money. It blinds us so that we don't think we have a problem. And Lot's got a chance to make a difference. Now it's time for the Ruth speech. Where you go, I will go. It's not safe in Sodom for me. But he moves right back into Sodom and raises his family there. And Abram has to let him go. But he prays for him. You remember in chapters 18 and 19, he says, Lord, you're not going to destroy that city. Tell me you're not going to destroy that city. Don't destroy my nephew. Please protect my nephew. Because, and he, he protects him and he prays for him and he knows that he has responsibility to him. To whom do we have responsibility? My friend Stephen Smith preached on a Sunday night recently. He's the uh, head chaplain at the VA here in town. He can preach and he told about Oswald Golter, the, the missionary to China, who was um, put under house arrest by the authorities there because he was dangerous ministering to the street children and the orphans, telling them about Jesus. That seemed dangerous to them. So they put him under house arrest. And finally they released him and said, we'll let you go if you get out of the country. And he takes the, the first means of transit. He ends up in India on his way home. And there in India he discovers in the middle of World War II that there are Jewish refugees who've left Europe and the only country that has taken them in is India and they're living in the lofts, in the hay of the barns. And while he's in town, he's not on furlough from being a missionary. He says, what can I do for you? It's Christmas time. He walks into a barn and says, Merry Christmas. And they say, we're Jews. We don't celebrate Christmas. He says... Nevertheless, it's Christmas. Merry Christmas. Christmas is a time of giving. What can I get for you? We don't celebrate Christmas, they said. But to get him off their backs, they said, we would love to taste the taste of German pastries in India, of all places. Oswald Golter sells his ticket home to get the money and finds the only German bakery in the area and carries baskets of pastries to the barns. And gives them to these people. And years later after his foreign mission board sent him money. And he finally made it home. And he was telling this story in a seminary. One of the students was incensed. He was indignant. He said, what are you doing helping them? Why would you help them? How can you help them? They, they don't even believe in Jesus. And Oswald Goulter said, I know. But I do. But I do. Do you believe in Jesus? Abram believed in God. So he had to not only be blessed but become a blessing to other people. To his nephew Lot who doesn't even really believe. But Abram believes. I'm not under under the um, false assumption that everybody in the city of Houston believes what we believe. I just want them to know that we do. Do you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great grace that we have found in Jesus Christ. You have blessed us. Oh God, make us a blessing. Help us to live missionally. Would you show us somebody this week, even somebody who doesn't believe, to whom we can reveal by our love that we believe. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.